live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. Okay, let's see. Over the course of the last month, we've been told all the things that we cannot do. We can't get a haircut. If you own a small business, as a general rule, you can't open your small business to foot traffic. We can't ride in golf carts with our buddies. We can't dine inside a restaurant. There are thousands of things that we have been told that we cannot do. All right. Well, today, the Department of Motor Vehicles has decided that they're going to make it easier to do one thing. What is that? That is get a driver's license for the first time. Mike made a reference to this in his newscast. Here's the deal. The DMV is announcing that starting May 11th, which will be next Monday, there is a pilot. By the way, May 11th, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, kind of a big day because they're starting to become a unanimity of opinion among business groups that, that May 11th is, is the appropriate date for Governor Evers to start like loosening up the reins on Wisconsin businesses. We'll see if that works out. But the Department of Transportation is a little bit ahead of that because they're loosening up the reins. Starting May 11th, they will allow first-time drivers to get their driver's licenses without having a road test. Now, the way it works, I think, think back to when you were 16 or 17. You have to, you know, you had to do your driver's ed, your training classes, and you had to do your behind-the-wheel stuff, and you had to pass the test. And then you would go, presumably with mom or dad, you'd go down to the DMV, you'd schedule that road test, and you'd sit with the driver, and you'd actually go on the road tests. Uh, the DMV typically conducts about 2,100 road tests per week, and 65% of these tests are for people under the age of 18. So vast majority of these road tests are for, again, presumably first-time drivers. Starting Monday, you will no longer have to do the road test. Road tests can be waived for 16- or 17-year-old kids. They have to say, here's the criteria, they have to have held an instruct- a learner's permit um, for six months before the test would have been scheduled. They have to have completed a driver's ed class. They have to have completed behind-the-wheel training with a licensed instructor. They had to have completed at least 30 hours of driving with their parent, and their parent has to sign the road test waiver. After that, though, no more need for an in-person road test. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this a good idea? Now, I understand that we're, we're cutting corners for some things when it comes to, like, the DMV. For example, um, you're, you don't have to, if you need to have your driver's license renewed in person, 
You don't have to do that anymore. You can just continue driving. They, they've waived the, the limits. You've got you know X amount of extra time to, to get your new driver's license and things like that. Um, a lot of the DMVs are closed or they are closed for most types of things. So we've been in a situation now with no road tests. That means kids who are turning 16 or between 16 and 18 have been unable to get licenses. All right, so let's tee this up. Are road tests unnecessary? And I guess my question would be, if they are in fact unnecessary, should this be the end of those road tests? Here's the interesting statistic that comes of this. They say that 98% of people under the age of 18 who take the road tests, 98% pass on either their first or second attempt, which means... If you're one of those who's flunking the road test twice, you've got some real problems. But, of course, arguably, those are the people that, that shouldn't be getting driver's licenses, and now they will be able to do it. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a reasonable thing to say, let's do away with the road tests for the foreseeable future. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is back at the studio lining up the calls. We'll be back to discuss it in just a moment. My take on this, are they nuts? <laughs> I mean, seriously, are, are, they, are they nuts that we're going to do away with the road tests for because of coronavirus? Now, if you want to argue we don't need road tests anymore, okay, I'm willing to have that discussion. But really, we're going to do away with road tests because of the pandemic. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A number of texters are saying, well, maybe this is the start of something. Let's, let's do away with the road tests and maybe you know, medical licenses. Let's do away with those tests. And you know, bar exams, let's do away with all those type of things. Maybe this is just a new trend. No, if you're just tuning in, the DMV is announcing that they are doing away for the moment with road tests for people under the age of 18. Uh, they ha- they do about 2,100 a week in Wisconsin, 65% or so or are for people under 18. Now, in fairness, almost everybody passes. The, the pass rate, uh, the first or second time, is 98%, which means those other 2% of the people that are getting licenses have no business being on the road when you've got a 98% pass-fail rate. But now everybody will just automatically get their license if they've Again, completed driver's ed and have their behind the wheel and all that. Good idea, bad idea. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Mike in Beaver Dam. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, my son is 16. He got his license last year. I was pretty comfortable with his driving when he had his learner's permit, but I've also got 34 years of developed bad habits when driving, some of which he pointed out. (laughs) <laughs> um, that last set of eyes is not such a bad thing, and I'm just not comfortable with this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, what? okay, so what, what is, I mean, the downside of keeping it the way it is is that, 
okay, maybe maybe the 16-year-olds have to wait a, an extra month or so to, to get their, their permits, to get their driver's license. And I understand if you're 16, that feels like forever. But, yeah, you, you contrast that with the fact that you know that there's going to be people who are getting their driver's license who probably aren't ready or perhaps shouldn't do it. You know, where, where is the – I thought we're all about public safety now, but now we're making it easier for people to get driver's licenses the first time. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me either. And that is, you're putting somebody behind the wheel of a very dangerous, can be a very dangerous vehicle going down the road. It's a better idea to have every set of eyes on them that you can, I think. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Now, I mean, the, the, the parent or the sponsor could still stop this. The way I understand the rules, I mean, you have to have the parent that's going to sign off on it. But that puts the parent in a pretty awful situation. Uh, gee, Mom, gee, Dad, I, I'm ready for my driver's license. Um, here, I, I don't want to have to take the road test. What, what do you mean you're not going to sign off on this? And again, where where do you draw the line? I mean, should we, should we stop, I don't know, requiring uh, uh, people to have road tests for their commercial driver's licenses, their CDLs? I mean, what, what, what do you gain by doing this? I guess is is the issue and even if we accept the fact that 98 percent of the people pass the first or second time that that means that the two percent aren't going to pass and we're going to be giving driver's licenses to those two percent on top of it it does kind of raise the question that if the pass rate is that easy i, I don't know you know how, how are we administering these tests let's talk to shelly in bayview shelly you're on wtmj good afternoon Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I just say I think there's enough crazy drivers out there that you don't need people, you know, inexperienced driving out there, too. And I think it's the same thing as anybody at this time requiring a license. Now, what, a cosmetologist doesn't need a license or, I mean, uh, go for a state board test or anything? You know, when I learned how, when I was 16, I wanted my license. My dad sat down and said, driving is a privilege. It's not a right. Yeah, (laughs) your dad was right. (laughs) Your dad was correct. Well, I mean... Yeah, and he's and he's going to be ninety. And at the time, I was like, "What?" But now, you know, at my age, I'm like, I get it. You know, there's no one saying you're sixteen. Here's your license. So it's a right. earn it. It's a it's a privilege. Well, you know, the other thing, and I have a texter that, that's making this point. Right now, we're under this, like, stay at home and safer at home. You're, you're not supposed to be driving anywhere anyways. Couldn't you accomplish the same thing by simply saying, we're, we're just going to extend the temps? You know, if you've got a temporary driver's license, just like they're doing with the driver's licenses that need to be renewed in person, it's good for an extra 60 days or whatever they're putting on it. Well, why wouldn't you just say, we're going to extend the temps? You know, why, why do you need to get kids the driver's licenses right away? Well, I carry a CDL, um, and expires on my birthday, and now that's been expen- that's been extended right. until July. Right. So, and right. I think, it, like, yeah, it, the extension definitely just you know driving is not a um, a free pass, Jeff. Too many too many right. weirdos out there driving now. No, th- thanks for the call. No, I, I appreciate it. And see, and that, again, that makes sense to me. If you're, if the temporary licenses are, are getting ready to expire, well, you, you do the same thing like she's talking about. The CDL, okay, it, it's it's good for you know an extra sixty days. I happen to, I, I wanted to get the real ID, and my driver's license comes to uh, what would have expired. On, on my birthday, which is about a week and a half from now. And and so I, I went in. I was one of the last people into the DMV when they were still doing the like the in-person driver's license renewals. And I, I got it in a couple of days. I was impressed with how they operated. So 
you know, I'm all set. But if I hadn't have gotten in, it, it, my existing license, my previous license, would have been good for an extra 60 or 90 days. And so, okay, don't don't worry about it. That's fine. If you want to extend the temps, I, I've got no problem with that. But why in the world are we making it easier at this point in time, given that we're making it tougher to do almost everything else, why are we making it easier for kids to get their driver's license? Extend the temps if that's an issue. 855-616-1620. Joe in Green Bay. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Say, I Hi, used to be a, uh, I was an examiner, a field examiner at the DMV for a little bit over nine years. Uh, I gave a road test. Uh, I was the mean guy that would try and scare the 16-year-olds, and they were the 16-year-olds that would generally just scare me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that, that time, I we were involved in, I, I was just trying to recollect, I believe, four accidents. We were pulled over by law enforcement, I'm going to say about a half a dozen times, uh, just on a road okay, now this is. I was going to say, this is why, while you're giving the road test, you're in collisions or you're getting pulled over by the cops. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, these kids can't hold it together for 15 minutes, because that's about how long a road test is, is 15 minutes. Um, right. This is this is really short-sighted. This is really, I mean, um, when I used to work at the DMV, and it wasn't that many years ago, uh, it was all about safety. It was about road safety. That's the reason we existed. That's the reason we were there. And right. now they're going to do this. And uh, someone, uh, someone else uh, uh, said, you know, where are these kids going to be going anyway? Oh, they're sporting events? Oh, wait, can't go to those. Oh, going to school? No, can't go to that. Um, right. No, these kids don't need their license at this well, that's time. What, that's they what, that's what driving. I was See, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, what what's the rush to do this? I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't. I mean, okay, extend the temporaries or, or whatever if they're getting ready to expire. Just just maintain the status quo, which is what we're doing in, in so many things. If it's difficult to schedule road tests, I just for the life of me don't understand why we would suddenly say to you know two thousand people a week here, we're just, here take your driver's license without having to check. It it just it doesn't make any sense to me as to why you would do this. Well, here is the thing. The majority of the, the kids, uh, you know, the under 18, the minors, that would fail, when we come back, we would talk about it. And the kid knew, you know, geez, yeah, I was speeding. Um, yeah, I did run through that stop sign. Hey, I did run through that red light. And they knew, you know, and it was not an issue with them. Who it was an issue with was mom and dad. Well, she never speed while I'm out with her. Well, she never ran through a red light with me. Well, you know, she did. She did. You know, and, I, and I'm sorry. They need to hold it together for a matter of 15 minutes to pass. It's not that right. hard of a test. And no, th- th- totally no, thanks. No, I really appreciate. It. No, no, thanks for calling, Joe. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. and see, and, and that's why. Again, it, it just. I mean, I don't know what what the thought process here is unless, again, the the governor and his appointee to the Department of Motor Vehicles has decided that we don't think that there's any value in road tests. Now, if you want to make that argument that there's no value in road tests, let's have it. I don't think that makes any sense to me for exactly the reasons you were talking about, Joe, the fact that you get this extra set of eyes that's there. And I'm sure mom and dad who who think little Johnny or Joni never do anything wrong, you know, they're, they're willing to sign off on this. And then you get somebody who's 
was an independent, objective observer in there, and they, yeah, they were speeding, or yes, they they don't know how to parallel park, or, or yeah, they they blew through these two stop signs, or you know, boy, they they darn near killed that that pedestrian, and, and you get that other perspective. In addition, maybe you know after they, and I don't know what percentage of people flunk the first time that then pass. All, all I know is they say ninety eight percent pass on either the first or second time. But what what about those people that pass the first flunk the first time, and then again the driver's instructor sits down with them and says, look, this is what you've got to work on. You know, you, you've got to, you got to, I don't know, you, you're, you're coming, you're tailgating or you're blowing through the stop signs. You've got to pay more attention. You've got to work on this. You're going to lose that too. You're going to lose that too because you're not going to have anybody giving any sort of road test at all. In any event, this is the new policy. It is Christmas come early for bad young drivers Thanks to the Department of Motor Vehicles and their administrator. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, General Communications, and the Packing House to honor police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and our loved ones. If you know of a first responder who deserves recognition for their duties, go to WTMJ.com. You only have until Friday at 5 o'clock to nominate. This is Steve Scafidi's salute to service on WTMJ. Please check this out. All right, if you're a regular listener, you know that there are a couple of things that have frustrated me during it in our, as far as the government response to the, the coronavirus pandemic is, first of all, that this, this, this lockdown. So we, we say we're going to have a lockdown, but it's not really a, a lockdown. It's, well, we're going to open up essential businesses. And, and of course, then we're going to decide what an essential business is. So I, I understand that, you know, you're not going to close grocery stores. You're not going to close big box retailers. So you have a situation where you, you drive by a Costco store or a Target store or a Menards or whatever on a Saturday afternoon, and there's hundreds and hundreds of cars that are out there. And then yet you drive by Louis Luggage Store, which uh, might at best, only have like 10 or 11 patrons in a day. And we've told Louie's Luggage Store, well, you got to be closed, but we're letting hundreds and hundreds of people go to the big box retailer or the grocery stores or whatever. And so to me, the question has always been, all right, rather than trying to guess what's essential and what's not, maybe the question has been, okay, can we open up stuff with enough requirements, the social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that there's not a reasonable chance or a reasonable likelihood that, that coronavirus is going to get spread. And, you know, why is there a greater chance that it's going to spread for the for the six people that might go into Louis' luggage store than there are for the hundreds and hundreds of people who might go into Target? So, so that aspect has always sort of bothered me. Secondly, we now know, and, and we didn't necessarily know this at the beginning, But we now know that COVID-19, while it can infect anybody, we know that it is particularly devastating, as a general rule, for certain classes of people. There, I, I was talking about this the other day. They did a study out in New York where, you know, New York City was the epicenter. They looked at the, the largest health care system in New York that had the most COVID cases, and, and what they found was that almost all of the hospitalizations, almost all, came from people who had, uh, again, 
underlying health conditions, particularly either you know, respiratory problems, hypertension, diabetes, or obesity, or generally speaking, a combination of those. And we know also that it's particularly invidious as people get older. 60-plus has an enhanced risk rate for people under 60. 70-plus has a greater risk rate than that. And 80 and 90-plus has a higher rate. And then if you combine you know, those risks, so you're 75 years old and you've got hypertension and you're 50 pounds overweight, you're in a really high risk group. Whereas if you're 35 years old and you're otherwise healthy, if you get COVID-19, you don't, you're going to be sick for a little bit. But at the same time, your likelihood of something really bad happening to you it is relatively remote statistically. I'm not saying it can't happen, but, it, but it's relatively remote. So the emphasis, it would seem to me, then has to be on making sure we protect those people who are most vulnerable, at least until we're able to get a vaccine out there so we can try to eliminate it. But that's not for a long time. So with that background, here's a piece that's in the Wall Street Journal today, and I want to share it with you and get your reaction. If you want to take a look at it, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to it. Here's the headline. Targeted lockdowns are better. A new study finds they save more lives and do less economic damage. I want to share this with you. It's not that long. Um, Americans are paying a fearsome price for the government's strict lockdowns on American life and commerce. And now comes evidence that targeted lockdowns aimed at protecting those who are most vulnerable to the coronavirus would be better for public health and the economy. This conclusion comes in a new working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research by a couple MIT economists. The authors compared relative risks of infection, hospitalization, and death for the young, the middle-aged, and those over 65. They then compared strict lockdowns to treat all group age groups the same with a more targeted strategy that protects the older and more vulnerable. Interestingly, we find that semi-targeted policies that apply lockdowns on the oldest or most vulnerable groups can achieve the vast majority of the gains from fully targeted policies, the Arthur's right. For example, a semi-targeted policy that involves the lockdown of those over 65 until a vaccine arrives can release the young and middle-aged groups back into the economy much more quickly and still achieve a much lower fatality rate in the population. Interesting is right. The universal lockdowns of March and April have been aimed specifically at preventing hospitals from being overrun with COVID-19 patients and thus reducing the death rate. But the paper says a targeted lockdown aimed at seniors or other people in the vulnerable categories combined with other policies like social distancing will reduce the death rate even more. Targeted lockdowns also reduce economic harm, as you'd expect. The policy also reduces the economic damage from 24.3% to 12.8% of one year's GDP. The reason is that once the most vulnerable group is protected, the other groups can be reincorporated into the economy more quickly, the authors write. And then they say this is consistent with other studies that are starting to come out. They write, the universal lockdowns are finally easing in many states, and the damage in the last two months can't be undone. But these studies can inform governors as they consider how and what to reopen in their states. 
and in particular, they should inform government decisions about the kind of lockdowns to reimpose if there are coronavirus flare-ups, as there are likely to be until a vaccine or a cure arrives. Protect the most vulnerable, but don't put the entire state in economic cold storage in the name of a false choice between saving lives and saving money. On the growing evidence, targeted lockdowns can save more lives and more livelihoods. All right. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what they are saying essentially is, rather than saying we're going to shut everything down, what they're saying is let's concentrate our efforts on <clears throat> figuring out where the problems are and, and let's, let's target those people who are the most vulnerable. And let's say, okay, we, these are the people that we want to concentrate our efforts on. In, in my example, I mean, I, look, I, I'd start with focusing on the senior living facilities and the nursing homes and places like that. I, I mean, I think that, that's got to be this new reality. And then you concentrate on, on maybe some of the other areas where you have the, the outbreaks, like the meat processing plants and those types of things, which is driving the numbers now. But concentrate on protecting the people who need it the most as opposed to this one-size-fits-all policy. All right, my guess is that's controversial. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a targeted lockdown. Do, does it does it make any sense at all? And I mean, you, you got to also acknowledge that there are some people who are not in are not in the most vulnerable groups that I was talking about, who if they contract the, the virus, there, there's going to be bad things that happen. But, but that's statistically, that's not where the odds really are. Uh, typically, you know, if you look at the really bad results, it's people that are older and it's people that have the underlying health conditions. Okay, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Moving forward, does that make more sense to than just an overall shutdown, especially given the fact that coronavirus, let's face it, it's going to be with us. We're going to have to learn how to deal with it and cope with it, and the majority of the population has got to figure out how to live with this until we get a vaccine, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. 855-616-1620, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so somebody says on the text line, well, wh- what do we propose we do with the vulnerable age groups who, who won't stay home now? Well, it's, won't stay home under the targeted thing. Well, you do the same thing you do now. I mean, okay, if you're, if you're, if we are spending our time encouraging people who are in those vulnerable age groups, uh, or the vulnerable because of the pre-existing conditions or whatever, that's where you want to, like, target the emphasis on. And, and if people decide that they're going to ignore it well okay they're ignoring it now you're really no worse off you're just targeting the resources at trying to figure out where where are the problems all right i mean to me it starts with senior living facilities it starts with nursing homes because i think once we go back and we start looking at this you're going to see the worst outcomes you're going to see a stark a startling high percentage of really bad outcomes have come from when the virus got into those various those nursing homes because it's the most vulnerable populations. Interestingly, even with all the outbreaks that we've had at the meatpacking plants, you, you haven't seen a huge spike in hospitalizations. Now, I, at least not yet. It, it, things could change, but my sense is that the people that are, are catching it, like at some of the meatpacking plants and stuff, probably tend to be younger 
probably tend to be like healthier than the the 80 year olds if they happen to get it at the nursing home does this targeted lockdowns make sense mike on the northwest side mike you're on wtmj good afternoon hi good afternoon jeff uh, my analogy you is uh you, you um, i agree with the targeted uh you know force you know hit the hot spots and get those under control my analogy is like you're a, you're in charge of a police force, and are you going to char- are you going to have cruisers going around farmland, or are you going to have them going to zip codes with the high crime area? Hit the hot spots and get things under control that way. Well, right. No, th- thanks for the call. I know. I and again, and then and then focus on 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 when the hot spots develop. And I'm, I'm getting a couple texts, and I appreciate this. And, and I I don't know how you how you fashion exactly where you're going to emphasize this because i have a text from somebody who says my husband and i are extremely active 65 years old 65 year olds we're we're in really good health um we don't have any of those underlying characteristics and, and we're we're really not that concerned somebody else just sent me a text same thing saying that they're 71 so i mean i don't know that it's necessarily the arbitrary age factor but it, it's you factor in the age factors together with the risk factors because like i say i mean if you've got a 52 year old that's morbidly obese with high blood pressure and uncontrolled type 2 diabetes yeah yeah that person is more at risk, arguably, of a, of a bad outcome if they get it than, you know, somebody who's 71. But but both of those people are at a much higher rate of having a bad outcome than somebody who's an otherwise healthy 29-year-old. And yet we have the, the one-size-fits-all policy that's out there. Look, I mean, here's the reality of this. I mean, for, for example, for senior living facilities... And I, I think, I mean, it's a, going to be a completely different world. I don't know what it's going to be like to visit, you know, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa in the in the nursing homes or in the, the senior living facilities moving forward, because we, we know that that's an area where you, you've got to spend a lot of time and resources making sure that the people who come in to visit or the employees aren't bringing you know, COVID-19 aren't bringing coronavirus in because if they do, the outcome can be really bad. But, you know, you, you concentrate on, on that and you say, okay, this is how we're going to figure it out. Maybe we're taking the temperatures of the employees. And, you know, you, you do these different things, acknowledging that you're not going to be able to eliminate it completely. But don't you put your resources there in concentrating on this, again, as opposed to just simply saying, okay, we're, we're going to try to lock down everything and keep everything closed, which is an approach that I think almost everybody right now is starting to recognize is an unsustainable approach in the long run. Now, you know, maybe you can do it for another two weeks. Maybe you can do it for another four weeks. But at some point in time, it's an unsustainable sort of thing. And I can't tell you how many texts I get from people who are, quote, unquote, essential workers who, who've been, you know, going to their jobs and, and going to work. And they're working in retail or they're working in their factories or whatever. And they're going, hey, this is we're just figuring out how to try to live with this. And we're again, nobody's saying you throw out the social distancing and nobody's saying that you don't wash your hands after contacts. That's just to me that. That's just incredibly smart, and that's what the new reality is going to be as well. But you wonder if we all recognize social distancing and we all recognize the need for added hygiene and things like that, shouldn't we be moving forward trying to figure out how we're going to deal with this over the course of the next six months or a year? Shouldn't we be spending more time, instead of trying to figure out ways to keep people shut down, shouldn't we be figuring out ways to protect those who are the most vulnerable Targeting that, 
And to me, I guess that makes sense. If you want to see this article, and again, they're using you know the, the age of 65. Maybe that's not the right age, but it's the concept that I find intriguing. You can check it out um, if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Bob and Mike and Guy from Brillo Home Improvements. So I thought you boys would be interested in an article I read in one of the magazines we get. They were talking about the most common complaints consumers have about working with contractors. Well, what were they saying? Waiting for phone calls to be returned is one of them. I can't stand that, and that's why we always return customer calls promptly. It also said customers hate being pushed to make a decision. Why do that? A lot of times, these are sizable jobs. That takes time to mull it over. And actually, if you need to be pressured to make a decision, well, you're probably not ready to make it. Folks, if you're looking for a home improvement company that knows business etiquette and ethics, call us. We'll save you a whole lot of trouble and leave you with a job you'll be more than satisfied with. Bernary, award-winning home remodeling. And about as down-to-earth of an approach as you're going to find. Visit BrilloHomeImprovements.com and check out our nearly 40-year track record of success. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. We're back. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The uh, state Supreme Court, the the arguments from what I understand are are now completed on their challenge to the, the governor's contention that the health secretary can essentially declare a state of emergency and keep it in perpetuity. That's what really this is. The state Supreme Court is going to meet in closed session, I think at 1.30 this afternoon, and after that, I'm not saying it's going to be today, but there should be a, a decision that comes out relatively soon. I, I, I listened to just a little bit of the, the argument. Uh, again, and I had a couple texters saying, you, you just don't know what you're talking about. You're all wrong. Well, we'll, we'll see. My, my sense is the Supreme Court is going to strike down the, the governor's position and his authority that he, his argument that he has the authority through the Department of Health to impose a, a state of emergency essentially forever. And I, I think I don't think they're going to buy it. The statute gives the governor clearly the power to have a, a, a put, a, to declare an emergency and then to do a lot of the things that he's done for 30 days, and you can renew it for another 30 days, and that takes us to like May 12th or May 13th, somewhere in there sometime next week. The governor's position is that he has that independent of of that statutory authority, the Secretary of the Department of Health, who is an unelected official, has the power to essentially declare a health emergency that can run forever with no limitations at all. I don't think that's the law. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to say that's the law. And I think what you're going to see is the Supreme Court issue a ruling saying the governor's authority to declare this emergency ends at the end of that 60 days, next week sometime. And what that means is the governor and the legislature are going to have to get together and and they're going to have to agree on rules moving forward. And the governor, who has been, for example, reluctant to open up the state on a bi-regional basis, I I think he's going to be forced to to do that. You know, who knows when we're going to get a decision from the Supreme Court, and who knows what the decision is going to be. But I think the Supreme Court justices in general were skeptical of the governor's position that, gee, the health secretary can shut down the state essentially forever um, based on, on an emergency. Don't think they're going to buy that. When we come back, 
interesting thing they're doing in the city of Milwaukee when it comes to those of you who still want to buy stuff in the city of Milwaukee. I will explain. We will discuss. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. By the way, since construction and road construction has been designated as an essential business, not arguing with that, this is actually the ideal time. And I hope... I hope they're out there while there are fewer people on the road. I hope we're using this as an opportunity to get some of that road work done so that once these restrictions are loosened up, whenever that is, and more people go out and about and start getting going back to their businesses, etc., so that a lot of the road construction has been taken care of. So I, whenever I hear these road construction reports, I'm thinking, go for it. I also think, man, they really must have the roads torn up in certain areas. If you've got a 25-minute delay on a Tuesday afternoon um, in the middle of the, the economic shutdown, which is, of course, that, that some people are at work and some people aren't. Okay, true story. Yesterday afternoon, we went out to, um, it, was, it was my son-in-law's birthday, and, and he and my, my stepdaughter lived live with her kids out in, in Pewaukee, and appro- with appropriate social distancing, by the way, happy birthday, Chris, with appropriate social distancing, we, we were going to drive out and see him. And what we do is we, we drive out, we get out of the car, they come out onto the front lawn, and we just kind of, we, we have a brief conversation, we drop off birthday gifts, and, and then, then we leave. No physical contact, no hugging and stuff, which is very, very difficult for my wife not to hug her grandkids, but that, that's okay. We You know, we play by the rules. So on the way out there, we we had like the birthday card and a little bit of a birthday gift, but they like they like the ice cream cakes that they make at Dairy Queen. All right, so we decide we're going to stop off and pick one up. So there is a Dairy Queen that happens to be in the city of Milwaukee, kind of right off the freeway. That's sort of on the way that we were going. So we stop off to get the, this ice cream cake. So I'm sitting in the car. My wife runs in to to pick it up. We had called ahead of time, and they said, "Yeah, they got ice cream cakes." So she runs in, and before she goes in, I said, "Here, just just pay for it with cash." And I happen to have some cash in my pocket, and I gave her gave her some money. I said, "Go on in." She comes back. Got the ice cream cake, and, and she, she gives me the money back. She says, they don't take cash. I said, what do you mean they don't take cash? She said, they don't take cash. I, I paid for it with, with a credit card. And I, I don't know why it is that they don't take cash, whether they're um, concerned with you know, COVID-19 and, you know, having to handle money that somebody else has handled or or whether, you know, they're worried. You wouldn't think where we were that they're worried about getting robbed. But regardless, their policy is they don't take cash at this particular Dairy Queen. And if you want to buy an ice cream cone, you got to have a credit card. And if you want to buy an ice cream cake, you got to have a credit card. Okay, fine. Nope. No big deal. And I guess we drove off and I thought, huh, that's an interesting policy. But, you know, I, I think they have the right to do that. I have seen that policy in other places in the city of Milwaukee. If you, back when they, they had events at Fiserv, there were different vendors that did not take cash. They had a big sign up saying, okay, you know, for, for this product, you know, it's credit cards only. So you, you knew if you wanted to buy the, you know, whatever, that, that you had to get in line, you had to have a credit card, okay? Again, no problem because most people carry cash or have credit cards. And I also understand that there's a number of people who pay for stuff with credit cards exclusively. And, and, and that's all well and good also. All right, now I bring this up 
because actually a story in the Journal Sentinel about this. Um, under a new ordinance that they are considering enacting in the city of Milwaukee, all retailers would be required, required to accept cash. Now, this proposal would prohibit refusing to accept cash, and it comes as more and more retailers are apparently saying that they only want to do it with credit and debit cards. Lots of, like I say, businesses that are open have stopped accepting cash as a way to avoid the spread of coronavirus. Others just find that it's it's more efficient. They believe that they can do transactions quicker if you just use credit cards as opposed to having to make change. They don't like having to deal with cash on the premises. Lots of different reasons. But right now, businesses get the ability to make the choice. Now, keep in mind, what I'm about to say is coming from the perspective of somebody <clears throat> Who, who carries cash, and do I use credit cards? Yes, I, I do. But particularly for smaller purchases, I, I routinely use cash. I, I just, I, I do. Haven't gotten out of that habit. I understand that if you use the credit cards, you get the points for the different things, but still, for small purchases, it's just easier for me to, to pay cash. And so I, I do. And most of the retailers I go to uh, allow you to either use a credit card or cash. This ordinance would prohibit the retailers in the city from refusing to accept cash. And the, the, the big proponent of it is um, Ashante Hamilton, who is the former um, president of the Common Council. And he says, look, I, I've had a couple complaints about this because I, I think what's happening is this is discriminatory because not everybody has credit cards. So why shouldn't they be able to you know, buy things that people with credit cards have? All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the city prohibit retailers from not accepting cash. Put another way, should retailers have to take cash if they don't want to? 855-616-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, even from the perspective of somebody who likes the opportunity to pay for cash. And uh, I'll tell you, if I'm at Pfizer Forum and I buy two beers or I buy a thing of popcorn or whatever, chances are are better than even, probably chances are 90% that I'm just going to pay cash for that. All right? So, I, But if the retailer... If the vendor wanted me to pay with a credit card, that's cool. I think it should be left up to the individual merchant to decide whether they want to take cash or not. And I don't think the government, in this case the city of Milwaukee, should be telling individual merchants, individual retailers, you have to accept cash. Now, if they choose not to take cash... You got to understand that that means that there's a certain there, there's there's some people who who aren't going to be able to patronize them. All right, but but that's the risk that they run. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it should be the merchant's decision how they want to get paid. What do you think? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Milwaukee is seriously considering passing an ordinance which would require merchants to accept cash. 
there are a number of retailers in the city. There's a lot of people all, that are just going away with cash, from cash. They're saying, if you want to buy our product, you've got to pay with a credit card. Now, I, I'm not sure that if I was a merchant, I would want to turn away that type of business. And I, I think I'd be inclined to want to take cash. At the same time, I understand the reasons why merchants might want not want to do it. They can process transactions faster with a credit card um, in an era of coronavirus. You know, uh, people, I'm touching the cash. The clerk is touching the cash. Maybe you feel it's a safer way to do this. Maybe you feel it cuts down on employee theft if you don't have, you know, cash sitting around in drawers. There's all sorts of reasons why you would have that policy. My point is, I think it should be up to the individual merchant to decide one way or the other whether they want to do it. I don't think the government should be saying you have to. Eddie and Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, start sure. off with, I love you. I love your show. I love TMJ. I listen to you guys every day, all you guys. But I disagree with you on this one because, like, what you're talking about, Dairy Queen, if they only take credit cards, what happens to the 12-year-old that wants to walk to the Dairy Queen and get himself an ice cream cone that doesn't have a credit card or just to the, the corner store that they decided they only want to take cards and he wants to get himself a, a, a Snickers, and I'm not yeah. plugging any, anybody in particular. No, 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 no. I mean, I just think there's a lot of items out there that uh, can be bought with cash by a younger uh, uh, buyer, you know, like, you know, even music. I mean, you know, I know we sure. don't sell CDs sure. as much anymore, but, I mean, they're the main ones that buy the music is really the younger the younger audience. And same which, with which going I get, to movies, I guess my, all that my no, but I guess my response to you, Eddie, would be, yeah, I, I, I agree. I hear exactly what you're saying. If you require, you know, credit cards only, you're going to lose the sale of, of that 12, uh, the three 12-year-old sure. kids who ride up on their bike. You're going to lose that, which is a reason sure. why the merchant, why the owner of the Dairy Queen might not want to do it. But I guess my question is, if, if they decide that the pluses of not taking cash are worth knowing that they're going to lose the sales to those 12-year-old kids that you're talking about, shouldn't they have the right to do it? Well, money is legal tender in this in this country. You know, I mean, it's been deemed so. It's it's basically what mm-hmm. we've been using, you know, to make transactions, you know, from day one, you know. And uh, I know why the merchants would want to go that route because it's a, it's a plus and it's a bonus for them. But until we literally go to the digital transferring and 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 making the credit cards like the the priority money i just think it's kind of a little much to to, to go that route i think you, you kind of got to leave it open a little bit okay thank, thanks for call eddie i appreciate it and again i you <clears throat> again you're talking to somebody who pays for stuff with cash and uh, uh, for a lot of types of things and and i mean i uh, my argument here isn't whether it's a wise decision for a business it's whether or not it's a decision that a business should lawfully be allowed to make and, and there's a distinction and I, I by the way eddie i i understand the argument about money being legal tender but at the same time that's not an absolute for <clears throat> for example there's lots of businesses that you go into and they say that they won't accept uh they won't accept denominations above a twenty dollar bill all right, so, I mean, if money is legal tender, should I be able to go in with a 50 and say, okay, here, I want to buy the, I, I want to buy my two bottles of Diet Coke, and I want that Snickers bar, and I want, you know, something else, and I want that pocket comb, and it comes to, you know, $6.95, and I say, well, I've only got a 50, or I've only got a 100, here, it's legal tender, you have to accept it. Well, they're going to say, 
you know, we don't, we don't, and I understand, I mean, they're, why they're doing that, they don't want to have to make change for the $100 bills or the $50 bills, or they're afraid that, you know, they're going to get ripped off because people are going to come in and they're going to try to pass bad hundreds and get legal currency. And again, I, you, you can make that same argument that by saying you only accept denominations of $20 or below, you, you're, you're eliminating people, and, and, and you are. You, you are, but I guess the question becomes, should you have a right to do it? And again, for people who say, well, it's legal tender, you have to accept it. Well, well no, because like I say, I, I think a business can certainly come in and say, all right, we're not taking over $20 bills. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the, absolute, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, Jeff, absolutely, government should tell merchants they have to accept cash. I've heard of merchants doing this for several years already in New York. I do not use credit cards for smaller purchase because I don't want to get hacked. Smaller merchants may not have a secure network like big box merchants. Yes, ab- and, and again, a- absolutely, I, I understand that. And from... You know, from a business perspective, if you're a merchant, I, I know you pay fees every time somebody uses a credit card, which is one of the reasons why on small purchases, I, I, I give them cash because I know that they're, whatever the percent is, I know if I use my credit card that that's gonna, there's going to be a haircut. There's going to be some money that gets taken off the top of that purchase. And I'd rather the business have the money than, no offense, that it goes to the to Master Charge or American Express or, you know, Visa or, or whatever. So, I, I mean, I'd rather give them cash. And I understand why the merchant would rather have cash. I also fully understand that by implementing a policy like this, like we were talking about with Eddie, you're, you're, you're going to turn, you're going to lose people. And instead of going, that, that group of 12-year-olds, instead of going to the Dairy Queen and buying hot fudge sundaes or whatever, they're going to have to go down the block or, or go somewhere else to, to get their ice cream. And so you're going to lose that business. So I'm not arguing it's necessarily a smart business decision to do it. At the same time, if they've got other compelling reasons why they want to do it, you know, shouldn't shouldn't they have the opportunity to, to do that? And shouldn't they be allowed to make that decision and again a number of people are saying well isn't cash expressly legal tender well yeah it is but that's not absolute that doesn't mean you have to accept it you get to choose what what you accept and what you don't accept some people take checks other people don't take checks some people put limits no bills above twenty dollars you know some don't i guess bottom line is to me you just have to make a distinction between what's smart business and what a merchant should do, as opposed to does the government tell you have have the right to tell you that you have to do something in this particular fashion? And my answer would be when it comes to deciding as a business owner what you want to accept as payment, you, you should have the right to do it, understanding that if you decide you're not going to take cash, well, um, then you're in a situation where you're going to lose a certain percentage of, of people. Um, that's kind of the way I see it. Matter of fact, I was talking to a vendor yesterday who um, she was telling me she doesn't take credit cards. Well, okay, I'm sure by not taking credit cards, that limits that limits her clientele somewhat. But, you know, it means you, you got to take cash. She said, I'll take cash, I'll take your check, but I, I, I don't take credit cards. Well, okay, I think she has the right to do that, knowing that, again, it's going to limit her clientele in just a bit. City of Milwaukee is considering it. We will see. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
There have been a lot of industries that have been absolutely devastated as a result of the ongoing pandemic, but I'm not sure I'm not sure there's any industry that has been hit harder than the travel slash tourism industry. You know, if you look at, at what's been going on internationally and of course, you know, here domestically, what what you have is you have the airline industry, which has pretty much stopped flying because there, there's quarantines in place. International travel is kind of ground to an, an absolute halt. People just aren't traveling right now because, as we've talked about before, you know, e- even if you're going to fly somewhere, there's nothing to do once you get there. So, you know, people aren't flying on airplanes. They're, they're not traveling. And, and the forecast for this summer, it, it's, look, it, it varies from country to country, but, but if this is not going to be a normal summer. And if you look at people who, for example, let, let's, let's go, we like to go to Rome. We know we're, we're going to go, this is the summer we're going to Rome. Well, well good luck with that, because who knows what you're going to find in Rome. I, I saw that France had just extended their, their quarantine of a couple-week quarantine for people coming in um, for, I, I think, either through the end of June or maybe even longer than that, and who knows what's afterwards. So the, the effect of this is, like, international travel is just, kind of drying up. Uh, yesterday, the Treasury Secretary was out, and he, he was his message to Americans was, look, th- this year, if you're going to travel, focus on, on domestic travel, because international travel, well, it, it's just, it's very, very iffy. He said, it's too hard to tell at this point. He said, obviously, there's going to be some international travel for business people who need to travel. There'll be travel on a limited basis, but but, you know, if, if you're planning European vacations and stuff for the summer, well, you know, good luck with that. You might want to figure out what the plan B is going to be. Now, within the travel industry, I, I don't know that there's any particular sector that's been hit harder than, than particularly the big cruise lines. Because, you know, we, we all saw the story at the start of this that you had, you know, the cruise lines where you had people who, who got sick on the cruises and then they weren't able to dock at different places, and people were held in quarantine, et cetera, et cetera, plus the general reluctance, number one, that I think a lot of people have to be in confined areas with, you know, one, two, three, four thousand of your closest friends. So you've got that going on. You've got the idea that leaving the country, you know, poses a, a whole new set of challenges because, I mean, it's, it's one thing – if you're if you're close to home or you're within the continental United States and, and something happens, even if you don't feel good, you can rent the car, you know, you can you can get home. If you're, for example, on, on a cruise ship, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean, it might be a completely different dynamic. And and that's one of the reasons why you know cruising has pretty much come to a, a halt not just because of the different concerns that government is putting on, but I, I think just also because of, of, of market forces. You've got you've got people who just don't don't want to do that right now. I was reading a report about Walt Disney and the, the Disney company numbers just they're, they're awful this year, and part of it is because you, you've got, like, all the theme parks that are shut down for whoever knows how long. You've got the different cruise ships they operate that aren't operating right now, and then all sorts of other issues. So, But it's just it's through no fault of their own, but it, it's the reality. So I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal, and big story, eight Carnival Cruises to resume. Uh, Carnival Cruise Line said it plans to resume sailings on eight ships departing from Florida and Texas beginning August 1st. 
and it's extending the cancellations of some of its other voyages in North America and Australia to later in this year as it continues to tackle the fallout from COVID-19. The cruise line's plans to start sailing, so they're looking at doing um, some Caribbean cruising and starting on August 1st, leaving from places in Florida and in Texas. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, when I, when I do this, I, I use the phrase, I'm going to take your temperature, and I don't mean that as a, as a pun. Um, but I, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, is, is this perhaps too soon? I mean, are people August 1st? So here we are. We're in essentially like the first or second week of May. So you've got half a month May, June, July, you know, two months, are, are people going to feel comfortable getting on, on a cruise ship and cruising the Caribbean or whatever in two and a half months when we're seeing, you know, uh, events all through the summer? I mean, July, all the 4th of July events have pretty much been been canceled. You've got concerts that are being canceled. We're, we're kind of losing the summer. Okay, so Carnival says we're going to start cruising in, in August, August 1st. Well, is, is anybody going to be on those ships? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, you, you can you can run the cruise, but you, you can't make people go. And as somebody who loves to travel and as somebody who you know refuses to uh, allow concerns to say, I'm, I'm not going to let this stuff dictate my life, at the same time, there's a time and a place for everything. So would you be getting on a Caribbean cruise on a large cruise ship in the next two months? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just don't see people doing that. But maybe I'm wrong. Would you get on a cruise ship in the next two and a half months? We'll, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I wish Carnival all the best. I just don't know who, who the customers are going to be. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Carnival Cruise is announcing that they're, they're going to resume cruises out of Florida and Texas starting August 1st. And I guess my take on this is I, th- that's great. Go with God if you want to do it. I'm just not sure that there's going to be anybody on those cruises. If you're a cruiser, would you be would you be getting on on one of those big ships come you know August or or September? I, I think you know candidly, I, I think you know domestic travel. Hopefully that's going to pick up. International travel, I, I think at least for. A good portion of this year, it's probably going to be put on hold. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, yes, Jeff. Uh, great topic. Um, no, I, I'm not going to book a cruise anytime soon, although I've been getting the tele such cruises oh, there? in the Caribbean. And, and, yeah, can you hear me, Jeff? Yeah, go ahead. Go. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very, very simple. Very simple, Jeff. Um, if, if you uh, embark uh, in a port in the United States, Texas, or Florida, um, if, the, if it's a foreign flag ship, um, you're, you're not going to disembark if there's an outbreak. You're going to either be quarantined on the ship, or you're going to go uh, to the flag, the country which the, you know the ship is registered in. Uh, very simple. Yeah. So you're, you 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 cruise at your own risks. It's a scientific. 
um, a solution to the problem that will reduce the spread of the disease. And, you know, to every, I wish them the best of luck, but don't come back to the United States if you're on a ship that's uh, quarantined. Got it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, again, I just think there's, look, and I'm one of these people who, who wants to have a systematic opening up of the state, the country, sooner rather than later. I think we can do it. We can do it in a smart fashion. But, but having said that, just like I think it's going to be a long time before you're going to have people, certainly, certainly not for the next couple months, that you're going to feel, have people feel comfortable uh, going going to a baseball stadium, sitting with next to forty five thousand of your closest friends, or going. I mean, I don't know what the the NFL is going to do for a football season. I mean, I'm, I I was at the last game uh, at Lambeau Field uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, and you got seventy eight thousand people crammed in on, on those benches. I mean, I I just I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Much less people getting thousands of people getting on a, on a cruise ship, and and I I, I do believe. That once once you start to see cruising come back, my sense is that that from a cleanliness perspective and from a sanitation perspective, there's probably going to be no places that are that are more sanitized than than the, the cruise ships. Just like I always make the point that if you're looking for like if you're concerned about school safety, you know, go to a school the day after there's been a bomb threat that's called in because you know, th- there's there's just intense. The intense scrutiny and security that's there, my guess is that's going to be how it is on, on cruise ships uh, well, once we start. But because of all the uncertainty that's out there and because the concerns about quarantines and, and all those different factors, I just don't know that psychologically in any sort of large numbers people are going to be ready to, to go back and get on cruise ships in, in, in August. And especially, you know, okay, when, once you... Again, once you get outside of U.S. territorial waters, what what's going to happen if there is a problem? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, we're scheduled on a Norwegian cruise in late July. They haven't canceled yet, but most likely we will. I believe in opening the state and travel, but doing it smartly. And the cruise is a little, a little too far. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's... That's it. Now, I th- here's it. Jeff, I-, I think you and other radio hosts are continuing to scare people and are afraid to do anything. You know, you might be surprised at how many people will enjoying things like cruising or going to events. Okay, I don't know what radio host you're talking to because I'm the guy that says, you know, we, we, we can't just clutch in terror. We need to be smart. We need to start, you know, getting out and, and living life. I'm just saying attitudinally. You know, given all the different concerns that are out there, I, I think it's going to be a while before people are going to feel comfortable going to that rock concert with 25,000 people or sitting at Lambeau Field with 75,000 people or getting on a cruise ship with 5,000 people and then, you know, leaving leaving the continental U.S. I just, I, maybe people are going to be ready to do it in August, and if you are, that that's fine. I just kind of doubt it. Frank Endowsment. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, um, I've been a cruise, been cruising for over 30 years, and, and I just don't see how they're going to be able to uh, get back to any sense of uh, normalcy, and I certainly wouldn't be one of the first to get on the ship. Uh, even if they're going to be taking folks' temperatures and all that, I mean, they don't have a fever today, but who knows if they weren't infected three or four days before where, they don't, where they're not symptomatic. 
And then, yeah. you know, and I don't know if you've been on a cruise before, but those embarking and disembarking, I mean, people are almost elbow to elbow. And unless they change their strategy dramatically where when these ships come in, they usually unload the passengers. And then by that afternoon, they're, unlo- they're loading up new guests and sailing away. Right. And I think the only way they can do this is if they come into port, they get everybody off, that ship is cleaned again, and that ship stays overnight, and then they allow the new passengers to come on the next day in a more uh, structured, right. orderly fashion. Uh, because, and, and, you know, you just mentioned, these, these ships sail with 4,000 people. Even if they were to only sail with half of that, then how is that sustainable financially to the cruise line to only sail right. with half your passengers? Uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know how they survive. I really don't, but... Uh, I just don't see uh, uh, a lot of folks getting on ships uh, by the end of the summer. Well, right. Yeah, th- thanks for the call, Frank. I, I, I guess, and that's my point, it, it's like I was struck with August. I, I mean, I, I think that there will be a time when we feel comfortable doing that. Now, I'm, I, I'm not a big ocean cruise guy. I mean, I like river cruising, which is a much smaller experience, and, and you're not with as many people, and it's a different sort of thing. But, but yeah, when I saw August 1st, I'm thinking, okay, all these different types of people, and again, I'm I'm not encouraging people not to do it, but I, I just I, I'm just understanding. You know, people are reluctant to get on airplanes. My my goodness, people are reluctant to go into grocery stores. We've we've got all the, and we're sitting here. It's the beginning of May, and people are uncomfortable. We've got all these input rules that you can only have X number of people in a store. And when we finally, you know, open up restaurants, the restaurants are going to open up, and they're going to be told that they're going to have to have 25 or 50 percent capacity. And it's already May. I I just don't see. The, the timeline working out right now. Now, I'm not one of these people who thinks that it's going to end the cruise line. There's people who absolutely love going on, on those ocean cruises, and, and that's fine. Like I say, I think they're going to implement all sorts of measures, which once once it starts, there's probably not going to be a more hygienic place than, than being on some of these cruise ships. And, and yes, I I I want to go back to Europe, and I intend to go back to Europe. Um, do I, you know, do I want to travel? Yeah, I, I want to travel. I'm not giving that up. But at the same time, you know, we're going through a worldwide pandemic, and I think, you know, just like if you look at the the summer festival season around here, my, my goodness, if you if we've decided that you you can't, you know, pull off. A, a Festa Italiana and a German fest and, uh, you know, an Irish fest in, you know, July and August in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. How can you start putting thousands of people on cruise lines? And, you know, who's going to go to that? Um, uh, this is from Russ. I love going on cruises. We've been on more than five with Carnival. In no way would I consider going on a ship within the next year. Um, you know, not not a chance. Um, let's see. Uh Let's see that uh, that, 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 that um, number of people saying, "Okay, we, uh, you know, we're not getting on a cruise line anytime soon." Jeff, I'm not getting on a cruise or an airplane anytime soon. If I go anywhere, it'll be up north to sit and relax. Maybe this is the year our family will take a trip by car to one of the national parks if they're open. Um, but he said that all comes down to whether we have any discretionary income because we haven't been working for over seven weeks. So yeah, you, you've got those different things. Again, I wish the cruise lines the best of luck. And I, I, do, I don't think it's going to be the death knell for the industry. But as far as that aspect of the travel industry, I'll, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked if you've got people lining up to the docks to get on a cruise ship in, in, in August. I just don't see it happening. More likely, I think it starts 
with domestic travel and getting people back on airplanes. And that starts with places that people might fly on airplanes opening up. You know, will that happen? Who knows? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. I, I understand that there are some in Milwaukee who cling to this idea that the, the Democratic National Convention in August is going to happen in downtown Milwaukee. And it's the more stuff you read, the, the more you, you kind of want to say, look, I, I, I understand why this would be a huge shot in the arm if you would have 50,000 people coming to southeastern Wisconsin and spending money, assuming that we have things open by then. But the more you, you look at this, the more difficult it is to understand how this is going to happen. You, you know, that they have to raise $70 million to, to pull this thing off. And... From what I understand, and there's a number of national stories, that the fundraising through through, and it's not a question of party politics or anything like that, but fundraising just like slowing to a halt. Story I'm looking at in the Wall Street Journal, just talking about how you know companies which traditionally write big checks to help sponsor the convention, they're they're just not doing it. Um, American Airlines Group contributed a million dollars to the DNC in Philadelphia four years ago. They say, sorry, we're we're not doing that this year. Well, why? Because American Airlines absolutely devastated by what's going on in the airline industry. Harley-Davidson, okay, headquartered three miles west of the Milwaukee Arena of of Fiserv, where they're going to have the event. Harley says, well, we've got no plans to write a check. Same thing true. Lowe's company, Lowe's says they're not going to be doing it. More than a dozen companies that wrote large checks for the conventions aren't planning to participate this year. And, and you can understand that. I mean, my gosh, you know, you look at all these industries that are out there and they're laying off people. They don't know what their business model is going to look like being moving forward. How can you expect them to write a big check to underwrite a political convention that may may you know not happen so the longer this this goes on just the, the more i understand that you, you've got people starting with the mayor who are, are just hoping against hope that gee we're going to have this flood of people that are coming into town but given that everything is being canceled given that you need to line up thousands and thousands of volunteers and i, I don't know that there's anybody thinking about a democratic national convention right now and given that probably finding sponsors is an almost impossible thing to do more and more it looks like at least for the democratic national convention you, you just don't see how the thing's going to happen the republicans say you know it's it's full speed ahead for theirs I'll kind of believe that when I see it as well. And then, of course, the other issue is, you know, do do you really need a convention? Let's put aside the fact that it would be great for Milwaukee. But, you know, given that we know who the nominees are going to be, do you really need a a four-day convention in 2020? Can we get smarter? Can we do it through telecommuting? Can we do it through Zoom? Can you accomplish all those things? Are conventions perhaps a thing of the past? Let's take a break. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I'm trying to figure out you know, what what the future looks like realistically. And matter of fact, after our last discussion, I was making the point that I don't think people are going to be ready to jump on giant 
cruise ships, ocean-going cruise ships in the near future, and somebody says, oh, I get a text saying, does Jeff Wagner think we're going to all live under a rock for the rest of our lives? Get real. Well, well, no. (laughs) I'm the guy that says that I think we need to be smarter about opening up the state quicker, and we need to, for example, take a regional approach and recognize that coronavirus in Wisconsin is concentrated in a couple areas, and it makes no sense to keep the rest of the state hostage because you've got an outbreak at the jail in Milwaukee or whatever. But do I do I think we need to live under a rock? No, but at the same time, that that's different than saying, okay, in the next couple months, gee, I, I want to fly to Great Britain and I want to be quarantined for a couple weeks, and then all these different things that I want to see in London are probably going to be closed, and then I want to come back and I want to be quarantined for another weeks. Well, no, I, I think nobody's going to be in a hurry to do that. It's not living under a rock all your life. It's just kind of you know working stuff out and being smart about how we do things, which brings me to what I want to discuss with you next. The latest with vaccinations, both for and and against. Now let's review the bidding for a minute. When the whole pandemic started, we heard all these conversations about flattening the curve. And and what that meant was that the curve is the number of people who are getting sick. And the argument was, we don't want our hospital systems to be overwhelmed by this. That, that's the curve. We want to level it out. So we want to make sure that there's enough hospital beds. We want to make sure there's enough ventilators. We want to make sure we have enough stuff to take care of the people who are, are sick. In Wisconsin, that never, or at least has not thus far, be, become an issue. The hospital system has not been overwhelmed. If anything, you can perhaps argue that we went to the other extreme by closing down large sections of hospitals, delaying elective surgery and all these other things to make room for potential coronavirus virus cases for the people that never came. But you know, we, we haven't had the hospital system that has been overwhelmed. Now, I guess, could it happen? I guess it could happen, but it doesn't appear likely at this point in time because of a lot of things, I think, including the idea that, that people social distance, irrespective of people going out and sitting next to each other on the beach. I think we, we understand that. We're much more aware of the need to watch what you touch and sanitize your hands and, and stay apart. So, I, I mean, I think there has been a factor to that. So this flattening the curve, well, okay, to overwhelm the hospital system, that's kind of out of the picture. That hasn't happened. So what has morphed into it, believe me, I get a lot of these texts from people. You, you've got people who no longer talk about flattening the curve. They want to make sure that nobody gets sick. That, that's pretty much it. If it saves one life, if somebody, you know, we, we can keep the entire state closed down, we can keep the status quo as long as there's any possibility that somebody could get coronavirus. If one person gets sick, that's too much, which to me, again, I, I don't think makes any sense at all and was never the goal because we have to recognize that coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. It's going to be with us until we develop a therapeutic, something like a, you know, they, they give Tamiflu to people who have flu, you know, something that can minimize the, the effects if you get it, and, and maybe that's going to come quicker than a vaccine. And the vaccine, ultimately, you know, theoretically, if you get the vaccine 
and like the flu shot, it's probably not going to be perfect, but it can it can eliminate it or it can at least make it better for large groups of people. But coronavirus is going to going to be here. People are going to continue to get sick. You just have to have kind of this balancing. And I understand there's some people that don't like that, but it's just it is the reality unless we're going to decide that we're just going to kind of shut down modern society for a year or two years or three years or four years until you get the vaccine, which I don't think makes any sense at all. It then brings up the other question with regard to the vaccine. Now, the good news in this area is that, uh, matter of fact, I'm looking at a story from well, today's Wall Street Journal, a coronavirus vaccine entering the human testing stage in, in the U.S. Um, Fiserv and its partner BioNTech apparently ha- have developed this I mean, they've got a vaccine that's out there, and they're starting to test it. And they've begun giving healthy volunteers in the U.S. an experimental coronavirus vaccine. And so they've started. It's a clinical trial, and there's other clinical trials that are going on, and they're trying to figure out, okay, first of all, you know, is is this vaccine that we're working on, is it going to work? Um, secondly, is it going to have side effects, et cetera, et cetera? So it's a long way off, but they're, you know, they're working on this type of stuff at hyper speed. The idea being, you know, if we want to develop some degree of herd immunity or we want to protect people or whatever, you need to have a vaccine and you need to get it sooner rather than later. And if you get an effective vaccine, a lot of the conversations that we're having about, gee, do you want to go on a cruise ship or do you want to get on an airplane or do you want to fly to Europe, etc., and all those type of things, it, it kind of goes out the window. Do you want to sit at Lambeau Field? Well, if you've got a vaccine that limits your exposure to it and you decide to take it, it's all well and good, okay, that and it works fine, then, you know, people, I think, are going to feel more comfortable going out into those large group settings that I think people are uncomfortable with now. All right, so that's going on. That's the good news, that, that they're, they're working hard and they've got some stuff that's in the trial phase. Story in today's Washington Post. Anti-vaccine leaders seize on coronavirus to push resistance to vaccine. And apparently the, the story is that you have a, a lot of people who are, are the anti-vaccine folks, you know, the folks who you know, don't think people should get the, the, the mumps vaccine or the polio vaccine or the measles vaccine and all that. We, we've talked about that before, that they're already out there aggressively saying, regardless of whether we develop a coronavirus vaccine, people should not take it. And the government shouldn't encourage people to take it. And the medical industry shouldn't push it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, see, here's the bottom line of all this, that uh, given the reality that coronavirus is here, and it's going to continue to, to be here for the foreseeable future, seems to me the, the only way... We build confidence in people being able to get back and to go into large group settings, particularly people who might be somewhat vulnerable, is to develop a vaccine. Vaccines, though, aren't going to help if you're not going to get it. And I guess my question is, I I understand there's always been this this anti-vaccine movement that's out there. It's it's in general a small percentage of the population. But having said that, you know, less than 50% of the people get the flu shot every year. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
if they were to develop a vaccine, let's say by the end of the year, which is optimistic, but let's say they develop but by the by the end of the year, would you be willing to get it in the first six months that it was available? Maybe you wouldn't be the first person to line up at your doctor's office to get the shot, but if by the end of the year there was a vaccine, by this time next year, would you get that shot? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be honest. I am genuinely curious because, again, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, well, you know, we, we can't restart stuff until there's a vaccine. And I keep wondering, gee, I mean, even if there's a vaccine, what percentage of people are going to be willing to get it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you be willing to be vaccinated for coronavirus within the first six months of them coming out with something that's approved by the FDA, et cetera, et cetera. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, the answer is, yeah. If, if my doctor said, Jeff, I, I think it's safe for you to take, um, I, you don't have any of the... You, you don't have any of the, you're, you're not allergic to any of this stuff. I think it's worth the risk. I would go with my doctor. If my doctor says, fine, it's go ahead, go ahead and do it, I would do it. What would you do? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text before we go to the calls. Jeff, if there was a vaccine, I would get the shot, um, but I would never get the flu shot. Interesting. Uh, Jeff, yes, I would definitely get it. Jeff, absolutely. I spent 39 years in the military, and it wasn't optional. Now that I'm retired, I would be the first in line. Jeff, I would definitely take the vaccination. It beats the alternative. Here's another text. Jeff, I would be the second in line. Jeff, never. Finding a vaccine is a boondoggle. Less than 50% will get the shot. It will be as ineffective as the current flu shot. Jeff, I have no interest in a vaccine. I plan to get the antibody test once it becomes available more affordably. Right now, it's $200 self-pay. I feel quite certain based on symptoms that I had COVID-19 based in late December and early January, and my husband and children had it well. So, um, you know, we were perplexed, but now that's what we think we have it. Um, 799-855-616-1620. Let's start with Cindy in Milwaukee. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yes, I would definitely get the vaccine. I had the shingles vaccine recently, and uh, I once had shingles when I was younger, and apparently that didn't immunize me. And so I went for the vaccine right away because I know what it's like to have shingles. Don't know what, want to know what it's like to have coronavirus, but I guarantee you I'd get the vaccine. I like my fish fries. I like to go out, and I'd feel a little safer. Well, right. You know, I guess I, it's, sort of, it's funny you mentioned the shingles. I've never had shingles, but, you know, my Ugh. my doctor. Yeah, no. Well, that, that's what he said. He said, I mean, we had this conversation last fall and he said, you know, you've never had it, but you don't want to get it. And so we've got this thing. It's that's available true. two doses. So I had the I had the first I you know, he, he said, I, I he said, there's no reason for you not to get it. I think, you know, you don't have any allergies. I think it'll be OK. It hurt like hell. I will tell you that my arm was sore for for a week. Right. But I, I got the yeah. first dose. And now I'm actually due sometime in the very near future to go back and get the second. Shot. Second but yeah, I mean, booster. I, 
I, but I trust I, I trusted the doc, you know, and I guess I right. I would feel the same way about this vaccine. If he says to me, well, okay, you know, th- th- we believe that this is safe. I'm, I'm willing to take the chance because I'm like you, Cindy. I, I don't I don't want to get it. Um, I'm, I'm not paranoid about it. But if there's a vaccine that makes me less likely to get it, I'm getting the shot. Right. Be a little safer. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it because, again, to, in response to one of our texts, I don't intend to live the rest of my life under a rock. And I, I do, I, I think that particularly if you're in one of those or more of the uh, the, the higher risk categories, um, it, it makes you know more sense to be willing to, to do that. And, and I guess that would inform my decision as well. Chuck in Waukesha. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. How you doing today? I am well, thank you. Would you get a vaccine? Yes, absolutely. I've uh, okay. I've had vaccines from when I was a child all the way up to um, I'm 66. I take the flu shot every year. I would definitely take it. I think that, you know, they don't make this stuff just to make money. They do it to help people, and and I would jump on it. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, what I look at is... I guess I look at if you know what what's kind of the downside, and I understand there's some people who've had adverse reactions. I've never had an adverse reaction to a flu shot or to any other vaccine. So I guess if if people think it's safe, I'm I'm will, and my doctor says to do it, I'm I'm going to do it because I figure it can't hurt. And if it doesn't work, well, I'm no worse off than I was if I hadn't gotten the vaccine. I'm not a doctor, so I got to trust them. Got it. Thanks for the call, Chuck. I guess that that's how I that's how I I feel as well. But this. See, this is looking into the crystal ball, because, again, and I, and I hear from a lot of you who feel this way, there are people out there who, who think that we should, we should not open up the state, that we should hunker in place uh, essentially for the next year or two. And I'm not exaggerating, because I get this, this all the time, that because, you know, that people can get sick and people can, get die, can die from this, that we need to essentially put life on hold until this unspecified point in the future where you get the vaccine. Now, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's all a question of balancing, balancing risk and being smart. And I think, again, we're, we're, we've gotten smarter as a society. I think, you know, I know one of my changes is I'm not going anywhere without, you know, hand sanitizer now. And every time I touch something, I pull out the hand sanitizer and I, I wash, you know, I, I, I clean my hands and I'm trying to be more conscious of touching my face and things like that. That's a little bit of a harder battle because, but I'm, I'm trying to be smarter. And I think a lot of us are, and we're going to continue to be. I don't know if I'm ever shaking hands again. Don't, don't know. You know, that's, you know, that's this other issue that's out there because you want to minimize that type of stuff. But, but for the people who think, well, okay, it's all going to be over and we're not going to have to worry about this and everything's going to be fine once Pfizer or whoever develops this, this vaccination, I'm here to tell you that's not going to be the case because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to make the decision not to, to get it. So we have to figure out how we're going to live with coronavirus, how we're going to keep it under control, and mostly how we can keep the most vulnerable populations safe because they're the ones that have the greatest adverse reactions. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.